Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We have a packed show for you this week. It is finally game week. I'm excited. I know Andy's more uh, just ready to be over with this preseason. You're just ready to be over with preseason, right? Yes. yes. It's bad enough when you can't see football practice. Like, or it's bad enough when you can see football practice. When you can't see it, you're just sort of you know guessing in the dark with some of these questions you're asking each week. It's, it's like, just bring some games. Like, watch some football and ask some informed questions. You know what does it for me is the weather, man. We've had some crisp weather. And even if I'm going out to the, the, the baseball park, you know, to cover a baseball game, it's... It's just just gets you ready for all the goodness that's to come, and including football and uh, postseason baseball and everything. So well, here's a short outline of what we're going to talk about. Of course, we're going to get into the game here, uh, the rivalry between Tech and West Virginia, FedEx Field, uh, what kind of crowd we expect up there, uh, the youth on the depth chart, uh, Josh Jackson's debut as a starter, and we'll also get into all our over-unders uh, for the season, as we promised last week. And we'll go back at the end of the year and see how we did on each of those. But, Andy, I want to first congratulate you, or not, or thank you, really, more than anything. I thought your story today, uh, we were taping this on Wednesday, was, was excellent. Uh, we've had a lot of stories written. And I wrote one myself about how these players don't know anything about this WVU rivalry, but I thought you really fleshed it out uh, by talking to specifically one former player, uh, Dwight Vick, I thought, a uh, former offensive lineman from the 90s. He did a really nice job of kind of eloquently <laughs> stating what uh, what this thing's all about. Tell us a little bit about your story and what he had to say. Well, yeah, the big thanks is to Dwight Vick for that story. He certainly saved me there. Uh, I don't know too many former players back from that era. I do know Dwight, and uh, he's a, you know been on the radio a lot, so he understands what you're looking for when you're telling us or trying to ask questions. Uh, so I had some very colorful anecdotes about the history of the rivalry, and uh, you know the way I let off the story. Just kind of the one thing is he remembers is all the older players telling them keep your helmet on when you're on the sideline because <laughs> they will throw. Back in the day, at least, they used to throw anything. I mean, the coins, batteries, uh, liquor bottles, little mini liquor bottles. They either empty or filled with urine, he said. Uh, you know, it's just – it seemed like it was a completely different era of uh, college football. And, you know, I'm talking to Dwight, and I, I find it interesting. He, he's talking about all these awful things that happened at the game. Uh, and like, oh, the fans were terrible. They were on top of you. He's like, it's like Hoosiers or Glory Road where they're like just like on top of you in the stadium and you just feel it. It's just like you're almost kind of like scared a little bit for your safety. Uh, but he almost like spoke about it begrudgingly with like respect for back in the day. It's like, man, those were the days right. like when men were men and football was football. Like, wow, I kind of miss it. Like it was just I, mean, I don't I don't want to say like a Stockholm syndrome thing where you just like enjoy these captors there. But it was just it's a very strange way to talk about the past where it's like, man, these are horrible things that you have. It's like, man, those were the good old days, weren't they? 
I remember the first Tech West Virginia game I ever covered it was it was in Morgantown. It was either 2001 or 2002, and Tech won the game 35 nothing. And I remember the scene of the fans who were so rabid going into that game, walking down Don Nealon Drive. Who, of course, Don Nealon, the former coach, who will be a honorary captain this weekend along with Frank Beamer. But just yeah, and and Rich Rod was the coach, and you know that was sort of I think one of the low points of the rivalry for West Virginia. But there was so many great games. I mean, I, I just, when I think of college football, I was born in Maryland, raised in Maryland. It's not a big college football state. When I think of college football, I, it's sort of like EPL, you know, the English premier league. When you think English premier league, you think red and blue, you know, Chelsea blue versus Arsenal red or, or Manchester United red versus Manchester city blue. I think of orange and maroon and blue and gold. I mean, that's college football to me. And just because it's, it's been some of the, the best action I've seen and the most intense action I've seen uh, doing this job. Yeah. It, I mean, it's funny how the rivalry makes people react certain ways. And, you know, Dwight kind of couched the statement. He's like, you know, I don't condone or what I don't give Marcus Vic a pass for flicking off the fans that one time. But I understand. <laughs> was okay, like, Chris Rock. That was a Chris Rock yeah. bit from back in the day. I don't, you know, OJ, what he did. But I understand. <laughs> that was that was the whole thing. I mean, that's what it came across as. I mean, it's just like it, this sort of rivalry makes you do stupid and crazy things sometimes, and I think that extends to the fans, obviously, and certainly when they have a little liquid courage, I think that uh, exacerbates the problem. Uh, but yeah, again, it, it's weird. Like if we just think about, you know. 1996 or 97, 20 years ago. It's not yeah. like this is ancient history. This is not really that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but it just seems like uh, – could you imagine anything like this flying in a sort of a, the PC world of today? No. Like, like anything like this. I mean there would be so much internet shaming of the <clears throat> pee throwers, and there should be. <laughs> right. I mean that's the thing. Like we're, we're talking about this. Like you should have an expectation to go to a game and not be hit by a bottle <laughs> filled with urine. Like that should be the basic, the very minimal expectation you have going to a football game. We're talking about it like it's, oh, man. Remember those days when they used to throw urine bottles at people? Like those were the days. But I, I think any you know long-term fans would – I think that story that you wrote would really resonate with them because that is what it was like and it's you're right it's not going to be that uh this time uh but there there is something to be said for just you know how crazy it could get and and what charlie wiles had had a line or something about walking down the sidelines and how much money was on the side yeah it's just it's it's interesting to hear them talk because they try to relate those stories to the uh the younger guys it's like what can they get from like hearing this story yeah. like it's like you know we talked to a bunch of guys yesterday and like wow did you really did they impart the wisdom of the west virginia rivalry it's like yeah they told us it was a game back in the day <laughs> but it's like there's nothing to them they were in grade school and this game was last played like they have no history with this team i feel like you know, people say like, oh, you know, you need to be motivated regardless. But, you know, when it's a rival, you, there is something extra in practice that week. They're UVA, I know Virginia Tech's beaten them 13 times in a row. What, I think that's the number. Uh, it still means something extra in practice, I think. You don't need to do something extra to get these guys up for this game. And I think in this one you probably do just because, you know, it's, it's just another game to them. 
Yeah, what didn't Dwight Vick even say in there that uh, you know, like when he's talked when he's talked to people, they've been like, it's sort of the back in my day thing, and they're like, they just look at me like, all right, shut up, old man. Yeah, or, well, I mean, uh, he lives in Northern Virginia, so he knows a lot of the the guys on the team that were from up there, and he's like, oh, back in my days, so like this is like, yeah, okay, whatever, pops, like we get it, you guys were tougher, you walked uphill both ways to school, and it was just, it, I think it's just you kind of. Oh, roll your eyes at a different generation. But I mean, this really was a different generational game. I mean, you think about where the programs were back in the day, uh, both in the big East, uh, the rivalry that existed there. I mean, now they're in different conferences. You know, I think Frank Beamer the other day said, Oh, it means more now that they're in different conferences. No, it doesn't. (laughs) There's there's no, no greater meaning to this is like, you know, is, do they really care about a black diamond trophy or anything like that? Like, like back in the day it was for, Who's going to win the Big East? Possibly. Who's going to go to uh, you know what they call bowl alliance or uh, alliance bowls uh, back in the '90s? Like it really had a greater meaning. And then uh, just sort of the just visceral hate between the fan base. I think uh, that's the thing I get most is from these uh, fans and responses I've got. Whenever I tweet like, "Oh, the players they don't really care," and the fans are like, "Well, we do. Damn it! <laughs> this is the big like they just it makes their blood boil." the West Virginia fans. And a lot of people have not forgotten that. Maybe not the younger uh, people that have graduated in the last 10 years or anything. Cause again, they've never experienced it, but uh, certainly for a certain subset of the fan base. And that's a lot of us, <laughs> you know, you know, my age and older, I'm not saying I'm a Hokies fan. I have a, a history in the rivalry, but people my age and older, uh, you know, I, I would expect them to have this really deep hate for Virginia or for, for West Virginia just because it was so heated at the time. And not only that, they're your neighbors. I mean, literal neighbors, not just, uh, you know, they're, they're a neighboring state. Uh, Bud Foster was talking about how he lives, you know, I guess he lives out by the lake, right? And he has all these uh, oh, yeah. neighbors who are West Virginia fans. And uh, we're so close to them that uh, it's not uncommon to run into a bunch of them whenever you're out or talking to people and, or befriending people, I know tons of West Virginia fans. And so uh, that, that ramps it up too. I, I don't know. I like it better than the UVA rivalry. I, I just think it's, uh, it's more fun. It's, it's more intense. Eh, maybe it's not more intense. I mean, gosh, <laughs> I don't know if it can get more intense than your, your in-state rival. I think it's more intense. Yeah. I think the I, games with West Virginia were more intense than Virginia. And maybe I'm just colored by what the games have become yeah, in the Virginia series yeah. lately and sort of non-competitive. Because uh, I think you need both sides to be saying, we're going to whip you. You know, we're going to well, kill you. And, and UVA fans don't say that well, now because they, they really can't. That was like, I don't know if he intended it this way, but when Bud Foster was telling, he's like, the last 33 meetings, they've won 17 and we've won 16. That, that's a rivalry when both teams have a chance to win the game. And like, <laughs> you read between the lines there, and Virginia hasn't had a chance to win that game in a while. So you, you look at that series and you can say, well, how much of a rivalry is it when it's been so lopsided? Yeah, I thought the exact same thing when Bud said that. Okay, what are you – I don't know if that was his intent. No, I don't that's certainly – if you read that quote – and you don't hear him say it like you go oh that's what he was saying it's like i don't think he, that was his intent listening to him say that but uh on print it could certainly look that way okay fedex field has eighty-two thousand seats right something in that neighborhood uh, how many do you think will be full and what will the split look like uh, i guess and and what has tech done in terms of uh, ticket sales well, Tech sold out its allotment. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the allotment was, but the, I think they announced that in, I want to say the summer sometime. Uh, I think West Virginia sold out its allotment too. Uh, I would expect a pretty good crowd. 
uh, you know, a lot of uh, Virginia Tech fans in the D.C. area, alumni. So that's a big area to pull from. Very easy for them to get to the game, whereas usually it's a four-and-a-half, five-hour drive to get down to Blacksburg. Uh, I would imagine West Virginia is pretty excited for this kind of game, this sort of big opener game, just like Hokies fans are. Uh, I, I would probably say not a sellout, just because 82,000 is a lot uh, to go to a neutral site game like that. Yeah, I, I know they're both ranked, but it's not like they're top 10 or anything like that. I think it'll be a good crowd, but maybe not quite a sellout in there. They're certainly better than that Cincinnati crowd they had a couple years ago where it was like 35,000. <laughs> like, whatever it was, the stadium was half empty, and you're just like, they did a neutral site game for yeah. this? What was the point of this? Well, that was like a week five game, too, and the Hokies had opened in the polls, I think top 15, and they got up to like 12th or something. Well, that's where they lost to Pitt that yeah. year. That was the first signs of you know cracks in the, uh, the foundation there that things weren't quite right. Well, we know people aren't going to games like they used to. I... You know, when I think of this game, I think sellout only because I'm so excited for it. And if I were on either side of this rivalry, I'd want to be there. I think, and you're right. I mean, I, there is there there are a ton of Hokies up in the D.C. metro area, and there's a ton of uh, Mountaineers that live up that way too. Um, and it's not that hard to get there from here, you know, where we live. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like uh, hopefully it's close to a sellout. I think that really enhances everything when it's when it's packed like that you know yeah i mean it certainly will have uh, a lot of eyeballs on the tv yeah I mean, one of only two games on at the night uh texas a&m ucla is actually kind of an intriguing game to me i, mean, I kind of wish i'd be able to watch that one too but uh, i think for a lot of people on the east coast especially this one should garner a lot of attention especially with two ranked teams i mean you, you put those tiny numbers next to the the team names on the the scroll on ESPN, I think that adds a little bit to it. It's only only the fourth time in the series history that both teams have been ranked uh, when they're playing each other. First time since 1998. Yeah, and look, it's it's one of those games where, uh, you know, when are they going to play again? They're going to play again five years from now or something like that? Or is it uh, 2021, I yeah, think? I mean, uh, 2020 or 2021, one of those is when the, the home and home starts. It's not one of those deals where you're like, well, if we miss it this year, we can just go next year. You know, like this is kind of a one-off until they start going back to campus sites. So it's 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 an opportunity, um, and it should be should be fantastic. I can't wait. But what uh, – I mean, uh, I did a little blog post on their history at FedEx Field, which includes three games, three losses. They're cursed <laughs> Fans uh, were texting me back – or, you know, tweeting me back saying, uh, thanks for the memories, you know, and uh, really appreciate that. Create some better <laughs> memories if you don't want to read about the failed past at FedEx. Well, I think people are pretty familiar with the way it's gone, but, uh, you know, the loss to – it started in 2004 with the loss to USC, who was the top-ranked team in the country. I uh, actually covered that. I was helping out Nate Crossman at that game. It was a good game. Uh, Reggie Bush had a big night, caught three touchdown passes Matt Leinert, <laughs> from Matt Leinert. Uh, then the Boise State game, which uh, Tech was down early, uh, 17-0 in the first quarter, came all the way back, took the lead, and then gave up a touchdown pass without a minute to go uh, to lose. And then the, I think the most uh, – excruciating probably for tech fans because it was it was a win i mean you you just taken the lead in that cincinnati game in 2012 and then you got your defense out there who's played pretty well all i mean the final score i think was 24 21 so your defense had played well and then they give up a touchdown pass that uh lives famously in in tech media lore i guess <laughs> here's the deep half game that was the Explain, defense. explain what that is 
well, the defense they called was deep half. And uh, you know, the next day, Bud was a little perturbed at some of the questions about uh, the defensive call. He, like, he should have been fair catching that ball in the interception. Uh, and I think he got one too many questions about it, kind of snapped at a reporter. I said it was deep half. I just said what it was. So we kind of joke about that today. Uh, I think Bud apologized the next day. He didn't need to apologize. It was a, uh, we, it was, you know, all of us enjoyed the moment. It was like, oh, let's go tweet this. It was great. Uh, but yeah, I, I think of the three, you think the Cincinnati one was most excruciating? I think the Boise State one was a more devastating loss. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were both top 10 teams, and, and Tech had, you know, dreams of, of big big things that season um but yeah in terms of the i mean you, you kind of knew kellen moore could leave that team down the field i mean it wasn't like the teams were playing exceptional defense tech had given up 17 and they had a block kick and they had some other things that contributed to their uh giving up some points but the, the defense hadn't been lights out or anything it was one of those i think if you're uh, sitting in the stands you probably thought okay they better be sharp you're kind of like the tulsa game you know where it was like Tulsa had possession in Beamer's last game, and if they, they'd scored, I don't think any of, of us up there would have been shocked. No. Um, I, I think the 2010 one stands out because, you know, what could have been with that season if they win that game? Yeah. If they win that, I don't think they're so dejected and just demoralized that they would lose to JMU the next week. I mean, yeah. I think those were all the circumstances aligned uh, in that game that, yeah, they just were like zombies out there because they had lost that opener and then they reel off 10 wins to finish the season so you, you know who knows what might have been of that season i think the cincinnati one what i remember about that game is that was just such a slog for three quarters it was just a horrible game uh i think virginia tech kind of got the running game going in on a drive in the fourth quarter and took the lead i think michael holmes scored the touchdown that put him ahead there and then cincinnati comes back at the end and you know had a a pretty good finish to the game, but I think for three quarters of that game, it's just like this game stinks. <laughs> that Boise State one, at least, they had the uniforms that everybody was making fun of and talking about that one, and it was back and forth. And I think there's a lot more excitement to that game, whereas the the Cincinnati one was just a dreadful game for a while. You could argue the Cincinnati game was the beginning and the end for the Frank Bima era because they went one and five starting with that loss. Um, and then they were, as you recall, they were in that very precarious spot in terms of their bowl streak, and they had to win their last two regular season games against Boston College and Virginia just to make the bowl, and then they played in that crappy bowl, and my brain was going uh, haywire in Orlando, oh, yeah. and they won 13-10 to 10 over Rutgers. And um, so the fame game where like both teams barely had a hundred yards of offense. Yeah, and yeah, it well, was, that was horrible. And it was like I think Pittsburgh was really the sign of that was like the turning point. Uh, but if they win, because they game? just got crushed up at Pittsburgh, it's like, oh, oh, this is serious now. But if they win a, that game at at Cincinnati, though, maybe they don't. They, maybe they don't go in a one and five tailspin. Maybe they. Maybe they do still. Maybe yeah, they, maybe. And, and I don't know. I just. I feel like, you know, it's a non-conference game that wasn't as impact. I guess Pitt at that point was non-conference as well, weren't they? Were they in the ACC? I, I, can't, think, I can't remember. I think that was the last non-conference game between the two they had. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. We, might, we might be wrong on that. But either way, those two games, certainly you saw this isn't quite the team that Virginia Tech had been in the past. Well, certainly they want better memories than that. Um, they, you know, the curse thing, we've joked about it, laughed about it, things like that. But they did, they did break a curse last year up at Heinz Field. Yeah. Um, maybe they're in cur- curse-breaking mode under Flint. They uh, broke out of their – I think they had a – 
sizable losing streak at NFL stadiums before last year's Belk Bowl. So they don't even have that streak hanging over their heads anymore, as if these players really care, you know, <laughs> what happened the last five or six times the Hokies have played in neutral neutral site NFL stadiums. Uh, yeah, so. I'm thankful to Bud, though, because he did give me a little nugget on each one of those games that I was able to like, put Let me tell you about this game <laughs> and then the anecdote from this game and how we were feeling on this one. He didn't, Will that work out? He didn't scream deep half, though, on the third one, although I think we were all waiting for it. Um, okay, the depth chart was released on Tuesday eventually. Uh, I know you were you were there early in the morning uh, hoping to get it. Uh, Would it kill them just to print <laughs> the game notes more than two minutes before the press conference starts? They, they were literally hot off the presses. Like, they come like, on. That's why I got there. Hot. I got there like nine waiting for those those press conference or uh, game notes they didn't give us until like eleven fifty eight. it's like how do you formulate questions ahead of time to ask the coach if you don't know what you're looking at until you get it like literally as he's walking in to do the press conference <laughs> that's a beat writer rant i'm sorry i shouldn't have gotten off on a tangent there <laughs> so you, you did get it though uh, and you've you've had a chance to process it what is your takeaway from what you see when you look at that depth chart compared to maybe what you thought you'd see you know, I expected a lot of youth, but it sort of just is out there in front of you when you see it. I think there are 14 true freshmen or redshirt freshmen on the two deep. Uh, some of those guys are in starting spots. Uh, you know, when you, when you come off a season where uh, you had a receiving core that had Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips and Bucky Hodges and all these guys that have been around for a while, and then you look at this new one and it's, you know, Cam Phillips and C.J. Carroll and then a bunch of guys who have never played before. Uh, it is striking to see it in front of you and just see like, well, you get to the second team and receivers and you got true freshmen in there in a couple of spots. Uh, offensive line, you get past that first group and uh, with the current arrangement that they have with it, a lot of guys have not played before. Uh, it, it, could, it really shows you how uh, an injury to a key spot this year uh, could be very damaging to this team. What's the one spot that would be more damaging than any other? I mean, usually you say quarterback, but I don't know if you say that this year, right? Yeah, I think they could be okay at corner. I, I think if anything were to happen to Cam Phillips, you're immediately looking at that receiving core and going, who beats you? Who, yeah. who beats you in the receiving, in the air on this team? Uh, you know, I like Carroll. I think he's a very nice complimentary piece, but he, I, he doesn't strike me as a number one guy. He's certainly not somebody you're like, okay – uh, third and five, we need a you know one-on-one play here to be made. And last year they had Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges they go to. And this year Cam would be the guy, I would imagine, in a jump ball situation or something. Uh, you need to get the ball to somebody with sure hands that can make a play. Uh, this year I just don't see a lot of guys like that in the offense. You know who could step up if there were an injury at the wide receiver position? Who's that? You know, the first place I looked when I went to that depth chart is wide receiver. And I was uh, a little <coughs> disappointed, to say the least, that Khalil Pempleton For the sake of this segment. was not listed on either side as in the two deep. Uh, is he going to redshirt? What can you tell us on that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I was surprised not to see him there either. And I, it only goes too deep. Uh, receivers, it's it's there's so many combinations of packages and stuff that you put out there that I I don't think you look at the receiver depth chart and go oh those top three guys will play all the snaps and then you know, injury you put the second guy in no it's gonna be all sorts of guys playing so possibly I could see him playing uh, the fact they got Hezekiah Grimsley uh, behind Cam Phillips they got Sean Savoy in the slot where Pimpleton had practiced uh, you know since he enrolled early uh, that's probably not the best sign for him playing early this year. 
but you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you're not looking at like these are set guys and these are guys that have produced over time. The coaches trust them so much. I mean, we, we talked to Holman Wiggins last week, receivers coach. He said, you know, probably have four guys that they trust right now. They'd like to get to eight. So there's room for, for guys to work their way up and work their way in by uh, being better at practice, and I think Pimpleton could be one of those guys. Just know that if he checks into the game, you will know, folks. I will be tweeting it. I will be blogging it. It will be out there. There will be like air horns in the press box <laughs> to alert everybody to this fact. Now, what is the biggest – and I think you touched on it earlier when you were talking about the depth chart, but what is the biggest unknown in this game? Like uh, – is it Jackson? Is it is it what Virginia what West Virginia is going to bring defensively? Is it uh, is it something else? I think it's what you're going to get out of this Virginia Tech offense. I know that's broad to just say one side of the ball like that, but uh, by the end of last year, you had so many just sort of star players that you could count on to come through in a moment. It's like, oh, you're down twenty four nothing to Arkansas. Well, Gerard's going to put this team on his back. Uh, he's going to carry them through that. I don't know if you can expect the same out of Josh Jackson at this point. I mean, certainly he doesn't have that sort of running capability uh, that Gerard had. You could just like, oh, we're going to run him 20 times, and he'll be the running game in this spot. You're going to need other guys to step up in that sense. Uh, you know, who do you throw the ball? How many times last year were they in a pinch and they go, it's third and five, throw it up to Isaiah Ford, he'll get the first down. Right. Like he's just, he was almost automatic in that sense. Uh, I think Cam Phillips has some of that ability, like I, I said before, but. Uh, you know, last year you had Bucky Hodges too as an option. You had Cam, who eventually operated in the slot and was really effective that way. You just don't have that uh, sort of maybe fallback plan on offense when things aren't working. You can go to the well all the time. You're like, all right, Gerard will bail you out of this situation. Uh, then the offense will get rolling after that. So I think that's the real unknown with this team is uh, who do you turn to in a tight spot? on offense and who's going to step up and you know guys will emerge over time but going into the first game you just don't quite have those answers yet yeah i can see two scenarios i can see a scenario where uh, you know they they look really good on offense on on sunday and i and i end up writing wow you know they just plugged and played you know they just found way you know the system works and all that i've kind of put my eggs in that basket uh, in the preseason with some of my columns here uh, I can also see a week three column where I'm saying, wow, they miss Isaiah Ford more than I thought they would, you know, like even more than I thought they would, even though I knew how good he was. Um, you, you're right. I mean, that could be a scenario where if they don't find uh, other ways to get production on those key downs, then, then you're just looking at that. Oh, man, does, do we realize how, how fortunate Tech was to have Bucky and Isaiah those years? You know? Yeah. You know, people really underestimate week three. <laughs> they don't give it its due. I think that's, I remember reading a column about that a couple of years ago. That's about as inside of a joke as you can get. But <laughs> yes, we were driving down to ECU one day and I didn't have an advanced column. And uh, I decided to look at the impact of week three games uh, because it was a week three. I just like how strong your conviction was. It's like, you know what, people? You've been given week three the short shrift. Start giving week three the respect it deserves. Week three is a pivot. I, I, you know, I went in. It was it was confirmation bias, I guess. But I ended up finding all these pivotal week three games, and the column turned out okay. Uh, but it's still a, a source of great comedy for both of us. Uh, Josh Jackson. Let's let's talk a little bit about Josh because uh, he was in there on Tuesday. We were both in there to to ask him questions. I found out his nickname is Smidgey. His dad calls him Smidgey? Smidgey, yeah. Uh, which is because uh, his father was big. Smidget, Smidget. Smidget, sorry. His father was taller than him throughout his career. You talked to Josh Jackson's father, Fred. Uh, what did you 
get out of there. Yeah, he's a former Michigan uh, running backs coach, so he he knows how to do interviews. <laughs> Let's put it that way. He knows what you're looking for in interviews. He's like, I've got stories and anecdotes and all sorts of stuff. A couple things I found interesting. One thing, uh, he said Tom Brady is probably going to call him this week. Uh, Fred was a Michigan assistant coach. He knows Tom Brady well. Uh, apparently, when Josh transferred high schools uh, from one to another, Tom had talked to him at that point, and uh, he, he, you know, fully expects Tom to give Josh a call this week. And I think the way Fred put it was, you know, Tom's a man of his word; he's going to do this. So, I thought that was kind of interesting that uh, before your first start, possibly the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL is going to give you a call, and I don't even know what you would talk about. Like, go get him, Ty. Like, what, what, what do you say at that point? Uh, that'd be kind of an interesting thing. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting from it was, you know, we've we've heard Josh talk, and he doesn't seem like a very, you know, uh, guy that gets really emotional or wrapped up. Like he's really laid back. Did did you get that impression from him? Very much so. Uh, so I I asked his dad. I'm like, you know, last year was he just kind of like okay with not playing and just gonna you know, take it what it is and you know I'll redshirt and I'll come back next year. And his response was, man, it like ate him up. Really? Like he hated not playing. He's every year that he's played a quarterback that he's been allowed to play. He's started like sitting on the bench is not something that like he was preparing the first half of the season. If something happened to Gerard, he'd go into the game uh, and he'd be the starter at that point. Uh, obviously that changed second half of the season. I think at that point you, you changed the discussion about redshirting, but uh, apparently just not playing uh, perhaps bothered him more kind of, you know, got to the core of him a little bit more than he lets on. Uh, publicly, so I thought that was a little bit interesting insight from his dad about, you know, he he's you know Josh has been chomping at the bit to, to play and he's ready to get on the field. So it, it, yeah, it's, it's maybe it's a little bit different from the uh, outward persona yeah. that he has. Is like, hey, no worry, Hakuna Matata, man. Exactly, I no had, worries here. I envisioned some sort of Zen-like response to this, you know, where he just was like, okay, my turn will come. And maybe that's just his dad and, talking, and, and that's not necessarily. Exactly how Josh feels, but I think his dad has a pretty good insight to how he, well, he approaches isn't that, things. Isn't that the best of both worlds, though? Is if your public image and the way everyone sees you is this guy who took it really well, and your inner drive is such that you're really, really, you know, competitive about it. Isn't that the best of both worlds? So you don't cause a problem, and you're also very competitive. Yeah, it's been, certainly better than the opposite, where you're a yeller and a <laughs> screamer about everything, and then you don't do anything about it and don't work hard <laughs> to to remedy the situation. I think that's. Yeah, it's that sort of fake uh, emotion that people kind of roll their eyes at or head coaches do. Well, regarding the Tom Brady phone call, I, do you get a lot of calls from – I'm on the do not call list, but I still get a lot of spam calls. I wonder if there's a chance Josh will let that go to voicemail. I let so many of them go to voicemail. Do you get a lot I of would them? imagine if Tom Brady has called him before, he's probably saved that contact in his phone. It's like, that's one. Maybe I'll put the name on there so it doesn't come in as unknown caller. <laughs> I've got Mookie Betts in my phone, but I – have Talk no, to him I, daily. I have nothing to ask him. Yeah, we were gonna go bowling together one day. You're pretty good at baseball, huh? Yep. <laughs> All right. Check in next week. What do you think of the Salem's chances to make the playoffs, Mookie? Um. All right. Let's get to our over unders. We got. We almost forgot about this. Yeah. Like um, we were planning out the podcast. You're like, holy crap! We promised over unders last week. The gambling public of our fake betting lines need to hear this. Well, I I posted the rubber band banks photo, which we're both very fond. That of. That really is the unofficial start of the football season it when really you see is. that photo up on our website. Got some got some live dogs for you on there if you want to check that out at Roanoke.com. But here's we'll start with um, I think one of these over unders we've already discussed previously but we can go over it again we'll get on the record and then uh at the end of the year we'll go back and look at what we did and laugh 
laugh at ourselves. I won last year, by the way. You did. Um, there were some that were we were way off though. What, weren't we way off on Trayvon? Uh, I think that was one. Yeah, we, we both went over. Well, like, I think we were originally gonna say a thousand. We're like, no, that's too low. How about twelve hundred? <laughs> it's like he, he didn't even. I mean, he had six seventy one or something like that. It's like okay, now that we understand how the offense works, maybe we'll have a better idea of how to do these. But, uh, yeah, but maybe, probably not. We'll probably still look foolish uh, a couple months from now. And maybe we set these at a better spot. We kind of uh, worked together to set them, but I had the final say on what the number is. So. Uh, over-unders, uh, first one, Josh Jackson starts for the season. I'm setting the over-under at 9.5. I'm going over on this. This is regular season, correct? Or regular, does it include regular bowl season, games? yes. Or sure, does it include bowl games? I thought we included bowl games Okay, we year. can include bowl games. I, I'm going over regardless. Uh, you know, Fuente's history is that he picks a guy and sticks with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I looked at it. There, there's, he hasn't had a backup quarterback since he became coordinator at TCU in 2009, I believe it was. Uh, has not had a backup quarterback throw more than 20 passes in the season. So that's basically just mop-up duty. Or the, you know, the quarterback gets hurt for a stretch like Gerard did last year uh, up at Pittsburgh. Uh, he picks a guy. He's not somebody who's uh, you know quick to pull him at a few mistakes. You know, I, I know Josh Jackson is young, uh, but I, I think they'll pick him and they'll stick with him. You, quarter, you covered a quarterback whose nickname was Biscuit, right? Marcus Higgins. Yeah, Marcus Higgins. Yeah, so Smidget is very similar to that. You know, I originally when we did this, I I went under, um, but I think I, I'm doing my <laughs> my trademark change of heart here. I'm gonna go over too because I think now that he's settled in there, he he kind of looks like a starter. He looked like a starter yesterday when we talked to him. I think he, the only way he goes under is if he gets hurt. Yeah, yeah, and that that's and that, a, that is a concern because he's not as big as as Gerard was last year. But at the same time, I don't think they run him as much as they ran Gerard last year. I think that factors into it too, I, because yeah, if they're gonna if they're gonna run him like Gerard or anything close to like Gerard, I think he he's banged up enough that he can't start nine more than nine and a half games. But I I think you're right. I think the the running back core is better and will alleviate some of the pressure for him to have to run. He'll still run some, uh, and I know Fuente has talked about his running ability as being. Um, Good. Uh, so, but yeah, we'll both go over there then. Uh, and I'll make note of that here on my sheet. Leading rushers yardage, setting that at 750. Uh, last year, Gerard was the leading rusher <coughs> with 846. So we'll include quarterback here. I mean, if you want to take Jackson as your thought, but uh, I don't think either one of us think he's going over 700. So, who, what is the leading rushers uh, total? Is it over 700 or under? 750, right? Oh, 750, excuse me. I will say over, but I'm going to say barely over. Uh, I, I think the key this year is that, like we said, I don't think they run Gerard, or Josh as much as they ran Gerard last year. So you've got uh, more yards to be dispersed among the running backs. That's it. I think there are four running backs who could get a lot of yards this year. So yeah, I'm gonna say over, but if it was like 800, I I don't know if I'd go over. I I think it's, if it's over, it's gonna be barely over. I'm gonna go over too. Uh, it kind of sucks. I this wish. is boring. <laughs> I agree with what you said. I mean, they're they're somebody has to get the yards, and if they're gonna, I mean, you you like you said, you can't throw it up to Isaiah this year. I mean, you're gonna have to find a ground game, and somebody's gonna have to emerge uh, with at least 800. I think. Um, and as a bonus, I'll tell you who that person is, Deshaun McLeese. Interesting. What do you think? I don't know who to pick. I mean, Trayvon had 671 last year, 
and he was a guy that just wasn't even in certain games, like just did not even play much in certain games. And some of that was, you know, he didn't block well or wasn't performing well. Uh, could Trayvon get 80 more yards than he did last year? I, I think so. So it, over 750, if you put it at, let's see, 900, I think I'd say under. So you're going with Trayvon to be the leading rusher as well. That's like a bonus pick. I think so. I, I really don't know who to pick of those. I I think Peoples might be a guy that plays a lot, but I don't know if he necessarily gets a lot of those carries. Well, you know? list is number one, right? It's him or Trayvon right okay. now as the starters. I, I think uh, that might be a situational thing. I mean, if obviously if it's blocking, I think Peoples is a guy that yeah. you want in that game. But I just I, I don't view him as somebody that's going to get maybe churn out a lot of yards as a runner. Uh, Trayvon historically has had those games where he's busted out like Miami last year. He was really good. I think if there's a guy on the team that has the potential to get a lot of rushing yards, I think it's him and you know maybe Holston. I, I'm curious to see what Holston McLeese. I, I just don't know about McLeese. I'm, maybe he's more valuable as a pass catch or something like that. I just haven't seen enough of him as a runner, a between the tackles runner to really get a good sense. Yeah, that's a good point. He could be like a, Taquan Mizell type, right? Uh, sort of a. Oh God! If he was, type. Virginia Tech would love that. But well, Mizell yeah, was an amazing player. I mean, yeah, not, not at this that stage style of, of player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I'm already regretting my bonus pick there, but that we both went over. So if I if, if Trayvon does it, I still win. I still win. Um, Tremaine Edmonds. I wanted a Tremaine Edmonds one in here because I just I'm really excited to see what he's going to do this year. Um, he had 106 tackles last season. I'm putting the over-under. He's he's like 20 pounds heavier, as we discussed last week. I'm putting the over-under for his tackles at 120. I will say under. Okay. Uh, if he was the Mike linebacker, maybe it's a possibility because the defense is sort of designed for the Mike linebacker to make a lot of tackles. Uh, 120 is a big number. Um, that would be leading the ACC uh, you know, Micah Kaiser type number where he's sort of the focal point of that defense and is in on all sorts of tackles, him and Blanding at UVA. Uh, you know, I think to get a hundred in this defense for non Mike linebackers, impressive. So to go 20 over that, I, I think that'd be a, a stretch for, for uh, somebody like Tremaine, who's a tremendous player. I think he could have a you know better season than last year and not have as many tackles just because he's all over the field like that. But uh, I'll say under on 120. All you, all the things you just said make perfect sense, and I'm still gonna go over just because I'm, I'm on the Tremaine Edmonds bandwagon. If he makes 120 plus tackles, he will be a first team All American. I think. Uh, I mean, I think he has that chance. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but I'm just saying, you need those sort of counting stats that people need to see at the end of the year. Like, you know, whenever you see something like 160 tackles, hopefully, remember how Boston College was yeah. famous for that. I don't know really how many tackles those guys actually had because it seemed like if they were within sneezing distance of the well, the ball carrier when he went down, they gave him partial credit for a tackle. But uh, yeah, like you know, Keekley turned out to be pretty good. He was yeah, he was pretty good. I'm just saying they had a run of like four or five straight guys there. They had just these astronomical tackle totals. Where you're like, eh, come yeah. on, are we giving them the benefit of the doubt on some of these? Uh, but I will say when you're you're voting for all American stuff and all conference stuff. You know, then those total numbers at the end of the year, it, it's really easy to pick a guy that just has a tremendous number of tackles like that over somebody that maybe is a really quality player that means a lot more quality plays, but just isn't at the top of a list. Brief aside here, now that we've had like a week and a half since you submitted your ballot, uh, have you had any second thoughts about your ballot? Oh, yeah. I had like, second like, thoughts the second I submitted it. Any big one jump out like after you got some more information or, or you know some injury or something? 
you know, I, maybe if I had a redo, I wouldn't have put Texas or Notre Dame in there. Texas is one of my. Uh, I was just reading so much of the off season about how you know these guys. You know, Notre Dame had a lot of bad luck last year. Still a lot of talent. The Tom Herman effect going to Texas. Uh, maybe I would have put it more of a, you know, let's see it on the field first before I would put these guys in the rankings. Uh, you know, perhaps West Virginia. I don't, I'm so back and forth on West Virginia. I don't know quite like the analytics side of it. That Bill Connolly article, like you said, was very like, man, he's not high on this team, but I went back a couple of years. He wasn't high on this team a couple of years ago as well. And they you know turned out pretty good. So, uh, you know, again, until I see some games, it's just tough to be like, oh, this team is definitely this good or this team is this bad. Okay. Uh, next over under is team interceptions. Uh, Tech had 16 last year, which tied them for 14th in the country. There's been a lot of hype about this, these cornerbacks, uh, this defensive backfield. Um, I'm going to set it at a, one half higher than last year, 16 and a half. Where are you going? I'll say under. Uh, I feel like 16 is a lot historically. Uh, for Virginia Tech. And and interceptions are weird. I mean, you could have a really good secondary and just not have a lot of interceptions. Like, it just... Uh, I don't really know how to explain it. Like, sometimes they just happen in bunches, and sometimes you could, you know, lead the nation and pass defense and still not have a ton of interceptions. So, I'll say under, because I think uh, what they had last year was... Did we write it down, what they were tied for nationally? It was like... It was out there. It was like 22nd or it something like tied that. tied for 14th. Tied for 14th. That's pretty high. Uh, if they get that high again, which they have the capabilities in the secondary, uh, it wouldn't surprise me necessarily, but, uh, when given the option of whether they're maybe going to regress statistically a little bit, I, I think I would take the under on that. I think I will take the under as well. Uh, you know, defensive line has a lot to do with interceptions. You know, how much pressure is a, is a quarterback feeling and, uh, is he, is he, you know, off balance and throwing something weird because he, he's not feeling comfortable. Um, I think Tech's off, uh, defensive line last season had a lot to do with them getting 16. Um, I, I agree with you. I think they could get more than that, but I think the safer play is is under. Uh, let's go to Cam Phillips receiving yards over or under 1,000. <sighs> That's right there, isn't it? I'm going to say under. Wow. I feel like I should say over just because his career keeps going up, up, and up. Uh, he had a really good season last year. Still finished with 983. Still came up just short of that number. Uh, I think he's going to be the focal point of a lot of defenses. I think those d- opposing defenses are going to look at the other receivers on the team and say, all right, can't let Phillips beat you in this game. I think that'll be the game plan for a lot of teams. Uh, you know, like Isaiah last year. I mean, how many times did Isaiah get you know double teamed a game? And they're just like, well, we're just going to not let Ford uh, beat us in a certain game. And you look at Isaiah's total stats last year; he didn't get over a thousand yards by much. He got over it, uh, but it wasn't by this really healthy margin. And uh, you know, historically, Virginia Tech a thousand is still a number that only two guys, <laughs> Isaiah and Cam, or, uh, or two one person, I should say, uh, has gotten to uh, in the way they count the stats now, and that's Isaiah Ford. And he did it twice, so. Uh, I will say under just because a thousand yards is still a, a very difficult number to reach. I'll go over, um, and it's simply the fact that I, I trust Fuente to find ways to get Cam open, even though he's going to be the focal point of. And I think, I think as we discussed before, there will be some guys emerge and become threats uh, that we don't know about or we're not talking about very much right now, <coughs> and we'll see it. We'll know it when we see it, and that will open things up for Cam, who is a very good talent. 
Um, you're not disputing that he's a very good talent, obviously, but uh, what I'm saying is I think he's he's the kind of guy that will get you a thousand yards even when he's uh, very uh, well covered uh, for most of the games. And you know they look they you know this is an offense that likes to throw the ball, likes to pitch it around, and so if uh, if Josh can get it out there and and and, and be accurate then I think you'll have opportunities to get there. And um, so I guess uh, it would be an optimistic take from a, from a tech fan perspective. If, if you were to say over and I, I'm going to go on that side, I'm going to say the over uh, second, this is maybe even better question. The second leading receiver on the team, whoever that might be, I'd like to get your guess on who that will be, but we'll set there over under for that person at 600 receiving yards. Where are you going? I'm going to say over. And I just pulled up these stats here from 2013 where the three leading receivers on the team were Willie Byrne, Dimitri Knowles, and Josh Stanford. And, you know, I, I loved Willie Byrne when he was here. He's a great coach. Uh, I don't think it'd be a stretch to say those weren't three just phenomenal players mm-hmm. in Virginia Tech history. Uh, certainly, with the, you look at the way Dimitri Knowles' career sort of petered out and Josh Stanford's ended the next year, essentially. I mean, he kind of... Uh, had had some personal thing that they got sat down for a little while and ended up transferring to Kansas. Didn't hear too much from him again. Uh, all three of those guys had over 600 yards in that year. Uh, Burns 660, Noel 641, Stanford 640. Uh, so I would think that somebody else on this team would be able to get to 600 this year. Uh, I don't think it will be by much, but I will. Uh, my prediction is C.J. Carroll of that group. I think he steps into a bigger role. Uh, can operate in the slot pretty well. I think that's a pretty big uh, deal in this offense. So I'll say C.J. Carroll gets there. I'm going to go over two. And the reason being because Khalil Pimpleton is buried on this depth chart. These guys must be studs, and we just haven't seen enough of them to know how good they are and which one of them exactly is going to be stepping up and doing it. But, yeah, I mean, I think 600 yards in this offense, I think you can get that. Somebody's going to get that, and maybe if my – my cam pick is wrong. That, that increases the likelihood that my my this, Probably, this over yeah. is right. So hedging bets, I like it. Hedging bets. Um, okay, next up, number of offensive linemen who will start at least one game this year. Uh, with some help from you, you you noted to me that I guess Vance Vice, the offensive line coach, had, had said he's played as few as five and as much as fourteen. And that's in a single game. He played fourteen in a single game. Uh, Memphis against UCLA in 2014. It was the breakout year for Memphis. Uh, so they were they lost by seven points in that game. So it wasn't like a situation where, like they were blowing them out. They were just getting scrubs in the game. It was they were trying to figure out a way to win that game, and they put 14 different guys in the game on the offensive line. Okay, but this is who starts. Right. Uh, it gets at least one start. We'll set that at eight and a half. What do you think? I will say over. Uh, I think left tackle, left guard, center are pretty well set. I think you could see some different guys at right guard and right tackle. I think in a right tackle, Kyle Chung was the biggest surprise when we saw the depth chart. I think everybody sort of expected Tyrell Smith to be there, and he's been slowed by an injury um, in the preseason. So I think Smith could be a guy that could uh, step in there and play, uh, uh, certainly start early in the season. Uh, I think right guard is sort of up for grabs too. Uh I guess, how many would that be? That'd be only seven. What did we set it at? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. That was your number because I, I, you know, I had no idea. I think I was – when I made that pick, I was kind of not <laughs> doing the math right in my head. 
Uh, too late. You're over. I said over. Man, two more guys have to start from that group. I mean, there are injuries and all sorts of stuff on the offensive line. Right. I think, you know, I think Parker Osterloh could factor in somewhere. Uh, Dondre Planton is a guy who's the backup right guard right now. I, I said over, I'll say over. Now that I look at it, I might say under, but I already committed to over. That you know, chalk that up to bad, uh, <laughs> bad mathematics in my head. Well, you can also throw in the you know Wyatt Teller will do something that gets him. That's true. That is a good point. <laughs> you, know, for, you know, they're going to send a message to Wyatt for some reason, and he won't start a game. But you would think Gallo and Teller would probably start every well, game. Well, they started. Right? Uh, Seven, I think it was last year, because Chung started the game. Colt Pettit started uh, for Wyatt earlier in the season. You know, obviously they sort of uh, mixed up some guys at center, uh, mixed some things around when Gallo was not necessarily the, the clear-cut starter at that spot. So I think with less certainty on the right side, you don't have a guy like Augie Conte and Jonathan McLaughlin who have started 70-some games or whatever it was they had coming into that year. I think there's just so much uncertainty there that I think you could see more of a, a rotation there. You know, I've noticed a change in my own interests and in, in writing. I mean, like this the preseason used to be a time where I would write a lot about the offensive line, and I think part of that was because Frank was ran such a run-heavy offense, and you could kind of envision those guys going out and blocking for the running game. And this is more of a, a multiple, you know, varied offense, passing offense. So I don't think about the O lineman as much. So I'm I'm kind of uh, just stab in the dark here, but I'm going to go under. Um, and just kind of throw that out there. As I a, think a as better a, line on it would have been seven and a half. That's my fault. You, you want to set it, it too high at eight and a half. If it's seven and a half, I'll say over. Well, that probably means me over too because of injuries. I mean, yeah. It's just let's say let's, let's keep put it, it at eight. Let's put it at eight. You going over? I'll go over. I said over before. I've screwed. The, I've screwed up this whole part, so I might as well just wear it at this uh, point. Okay, you go over. I'll, I'll just go under just to be different. Hopefully, I win the big pot. <laughs> there is no prize at the end. You did not give me any sort of money after last season when I beat you soundly in the over/under. You should beat me soundly. You are the beat man. All right, scoring defense. Uh, this is this is a fun one here. Last year, they gave up twenty-two point eight points <laughs> per game, tied for twenty-seventh nationally. Um, I set it at twenty-one point five because I think this defense has a chance to be really good. Uh, what do you think about 21.5 over and under? That's a really low number. Like that's tough to do in this day and age of. Do you still have that scoring. up on your screen? How many did uh, that? I did. Talk while I look it up. Yeah, I'm curious how many actually did that. Uh, you know, 21.5 or fewer last year because you're right. There's going to be a game in there where you give up a bunch and it's going to skew your stats. And with the offenses that you see. Uh, Alabama, 19. 19 teams did it last year. Okay, Alabama was first with 13 points per game. Um, we're, we're, I'm going to go under here. I'll, I'll go first. I'm going to go under. I, I really think this team is going to be like a top eight or nine defense in the country, and that would put you under the, the 21 and a half. I think it's possible I'm going to say over, just okay. because I, I, I think it's so tough to really get that low number uh, – 22.8 was really impressive last year, especially with some of the offenses they went up against. Uh, you know, that was helped out. They shut out Boston College. Uh, you know, ECU didn't score much in that game. Uh, and they may have that this year, but I, I, I think it's tough to get down that low, so I'll say over just to be different. Okay. Well, it's good to have different picks. Scoring offense, they scored 35 a game last year. And, of course, they had a lot of pieces, uh, known pieces that we've already discussed on this on this podcast that they don't have this year. 
I'm going to set the number lower than that. I'm going to set it at 33.5 for the scoring offense average. Which way are you going? I'll say under on that. I think you just lose so many pieces that uh, there'd be a logical step back on that side of the ball. I think I think they'll figure out ways to score, but 35 or 33.5 is the number. Uh, that's a tough one to get to. And you think of how many big points games they had last year where they were just scoring uh, you know, 50 points or whatever it was. Uh, I think that'll be tough to do this year uh, with the cast they have. Yeah, I think I might have set that one a little too high because the, the previous year, they, the last year of Frank, they were, I think, 31. And the year before that, they were like 24. I mean, it was it was drastic. But this is a new age. This is the Fuente yeah. offense. I think a lot of fans, if you ask them, would take over on that just because they have full faith in this offensive staff to – to figure things out. I have a, a pretty high amount of faith in them to figure things out, but I'm still... What was your number, 33 and a half? Uh, Six teams did it last year in the ACC. Six teams in the ACC. Okay, yeah. So that's almost half of the ACC. Yeah. Uh, I, think, North, I mean, North Carolina, with the offense they had, did not get to that number last year. That's hard to believe. I'm going to go under... I think they're going to run the ball more this year, and that's going to you know run the clock a little more. It's you know, going to be fewer possessions probably than last season, maybe, um, because they just... You know, I think they're going to have to run the ball more, and um, so that's my reasoning for the under there. It's kind of well. If that was true, that would also play into helping the defense have a really low. The, the defense is on the field less time. It's right. easier to have a low scoring average like that. Yeah, yeah. So that, you're, you're pairing up your picks here. I like this. I like yeah. how you're doing it. No hedging there. Um, over under for Tech victories. This would be the last over under we do. Uh, Vegas <clears> has it at nine, but. We've already kind of discussed this before, and I think we both thought nine was very uh, ambitious. And the under is also favored uh, if you if you use the Vegas line of nine. It's like minus one thirty on the under. I'm setting it at eight and a half. I think that's a better number for you and me to discuss because we both thought nine was high. So what if I set it at eight and a half? Where are you going? I've called this an eight and fourteen before. Uh, that was sort of my prediction in the off season, so I'll stick with it. Uh, I can't sit there on the schedule and feel this is lost, this is lost, this is lost. You know, you did that last year. Would anybody have picked Syracuse and Georgia Tech as being losses? Right. Uh, certainly after the way the season started, I don't think people looked at Georgia Tech as being a game they'd lose, and you know they got hammered uh, in that game. So I'll say eight and four is my prediction, which I, I would put them at under. Uh, I think there's a potential there to do better than that. Certainly if Jackson is you know, the real deal at quarterback, uh, if they can figure out a way to manufacture points on offense. And, you know, it, again, if they can remain injury free, because if they get some injuries at key spots, I think that really shows up this year where maybe it, it was a little bit less so last year. Yeah, I think the trip to Miami, the trip to Georgia Tech, the hosting of Clemson, and this game we're about to pick here against West Virginia. I mean, those are four tough games right there. If you happen to lose three of those, then you have no margin for error on the over of eight and a half. Um, and, and I think they could lose three of those. Um, I'm not saying that's necessarily where they're going to lose those games, but I, you know, I, how confident are you that they're going to go down to Miami with Miami's defense um, and you know, to just the talent level down there, and they're just going to win that game? I mean, I, I, well, how I many coin flip games did they win last year? I mean, they were they were pretty good in those fifty fifty games. I mean, Pitt, 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 Pitt being a great example. Pitt's a fifty fifty game this year, I think. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech is. Miami is. Uh, I would probably even put West Virginia in that category. I, I know other people, Hokies fans, are maybe more confident uh, about their chances in this opener than than maybe I am. 
you know, Clemson, I wouldn't even put that 50-50. I think Clemson's a, a decent favorite at that game. I just think if you, you say they have to win, go 9-3 and three in the regular season to win this bet, I would take the chances greater of being 8-4. and four. Yeah, and we're doing regular season. We're not counting a bowl game there. I'm going to go under as well. I think 8-4 I think and four sounds about right. Okay, Virginia Tech is now a four-point favorite over West Virginia as we speak. That's been as high as five. I've seen it. I think it opened at three. Uh, so right in the middle there, minus four. This is uh, we're gonna try and have a big year here with our picks on Virginia Tech. You, you've done pretty well, I think. Yeah, hit and miss. Yeah, Which, there was one year where I was just nailing them every week, but uh, last year not so much. I think the line here is pretty good. I like this. I mean, I, I think the line is pretty pretty fair. But which way are you going? I'm taking the Hokies by three. Okay. Uh, if I have to give a score, I'll you know give the standard football score that's out there. 27-24. Uh, I think it's a close game. I think it's a good game. I, for some reason, I just have this feeling like Will Greer will just go out there on the first drive and West Virginia will just score in like a minute. And then Bud will figure some things out and then, you know, get the defense settled down after that. It just has that feeling to me. How many times have we seen that happen? <laughs> right. Where it's just like, whoa, man, that was a NASCAR drive down the field. Bud Light. And then Bud finish, figures it out and they do a lot better from there. I just think uh, West Virginia has the capability of scoring pretty well in this game. and But I think Virginia Tech is the better team. I mean, I rank them better in my polls, so I guess I have to back it up in that sense. I'll say 27-24 Virginia Tech. Everything I've written forces me to pick Tech here. I mean, everything I've said about West Virginia, not you know, citing the Connolly stuff and Vegas and everything I've cited w- about them being uh, diminished from last from 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 last year's ten and three game. Uh, everything I've said about trusting in Fuente's offense uh, to find a way even early in the season. Everything I've written about uh, Virginia Tech's defense being uh, possibly one of the best they've ever had in Blacksburg. All those things point to you have to take Tech and give the four. I'm going to give it, and I'll give it pretty fairly comfortably. Um, I'll say 30 to 20, something like that. I think I think they cover it by uh, almost a touchdown there. So you've got Tech winning and covering. I have Tech winning and not covering. That's right. I have right. the I have the wussy bet that the I wimp, hope the wimp bet. I hope you're right because the, you know if it's a game like that, a back and forth, man. What I mean, it'll be held or right on deadline, but it'll be a lot of fun, and that's. Uh, you know, that'd be a good way to kick off the season if we have a game that just goes down to the end like that. All right, well, we're going to have all the coverage in, in on Roanoke.com. You can check it out leading up to the game. And, of course, uh, we'll have live blogs and post-game blogs, and we'll be up real late that night. Uh, well, at least Andy will, get, taking care of you. So make sure you check all that out. We'll come back next week and break it all down and look forward to the uh, Delaware game as well. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll see you next time.